Acts chapter 20, Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we come to Acts chapter 20. Actually, we entered into the chapter last week and um, uh, made our way part through it, and uh, so tonight we will pick it up in verse 28. Remember that the Apostle Paul is now um, concluding his third missionary journey and uh, his final missionary journey, unless you count his voyage to Rome and the trials and all of that to be a fourth missionary journey, as some do. But it's his third missionary journey coming to the end of it, and he comes uh, as he's making his way to Jerusalem in order to uh, be a part of the Feast of Pentecost there in Jerusalem in the spring of the year. And uh, he makes his way uh, uh, from the, uh, off into Asia, off into Europe, making his way now to Jerusalem. And he comes to Miletus, which is uh, about 36 miles away from Ephesus, where he had spent three of the uh, four to five years of this missionary journey in Ephesus to meet with the Ephesian elders uh, one final time and to say uh, farewell to them. And his farewell address to them, it's kind of like a pastor's conference uh, that the Apostle Paul would lead. I mean, if anybody said, hey, I've got the notes, I've got Paul's outline or the actual sermon from him talking to the Ephesian elders, you say, how much does that cost on eBay? I don't know where the bidding would go on this uh, stuff. And so it's recorded for us right in the Scriptures and amazing to see his heart and to receive the instruction of his heart uh, related to Christian service. And his, his uh, sermon or his discourse is made up of two main points. And first, Paul spoke of the things that they had seen in his life during the three years that he ministered uh, with them there in the city of Ephesus and which they were to make an example for their own lives. And then in verse 28, which we come to uh, today, is the, this evening is the second part of that uh, discourse where he charges them to uh, personally, now he commissions them to now take this church that he had been so instrumental in starting by the Holy Spirit to now uh, hand it over to their leadership, so to speak, and take it now uh, into the next stage of its uh, existence. And so he spoke to them, many had a long relationship, ministry relationship with, in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas, overseers, to shepherd uh, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Imagine uh, hearing Paul say this to you in your commissioning service. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you'll see some a pastor's being sent out, or the hands are being laid on an elder, and it's all, you know, encouragement. And everybody's saying, "Oh, they'll find out about the hard stuff uh, sooner or later." But here, Paul makes it very clear to them at the outset, and also from among yourselves. Worse yet. Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And so you get a little bit of a feel where uh, Jesus is talking about his betrayal 
prior to instituting the Lord's Supper before his crucifixion. And he spoke about the one who would betray him. And uh, they all had this healthy self-doubt. Is it I? Is it I? You know, and, and it was going to be Judas that would do that um, and, uh, and, and betray and uh, uh, rise up from among the midst of even the apostles in an awful way. And therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone uh, night and day with tears. And so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you uh, an inheritance among those who are uh, sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, Yes, you, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than it is to uh, receive. And so Paul gives them here uh, in his discourse to them, he gives them six things in this passage that I've read, six things that they're to take heed uh, of in their own lives. And this applies to all Christian ministry, and every Christian is a servant, a minister uh, of the Lord, and then he gives them two great things to take heart in. He tells them, first of all, in verse 28, to take heed to themselves. And so he began where this always needs to begin, and that is Paul exhorting them to pay uh, particular attention and supreme attention. Uh, to their own Christian character, their own uh, manner of life. And so uh, church leadership, and, and again for each of us as Christians, uh, to make sure that we are feeding our own spirit, we're nourishing our own soul uh, in, in order to be healthy enough to be a healthy influence in the lives uh, of those that uh, we are, are serving and to be able to lead. Of course, this requires uh, daily time uh, in prayer and in the reading of God's Word and uh, reading the Word of uh, God, not in sermon preparation, but just like every other Christian in the world, no matter what our responsibilities are, we read it not to prepare a sermon, but we read it to now allow that passage that we're reading, the Bible as a whole, to speak to ourselves, just as a, as a Christian, and to speak to our own personal relationship uh, with uh, God. And it's how uh, we as the branches abide uh, in the vine. It is very important, and Paul is emphasizing it here, and, and vital for leaders to hear. It can seem so elementary. Why would he even need to say this to, to leaders? And yet, it's vital for leaders to realize that God saved us, uh, first and foremost, for a personal relationship with him. And, uh, and that ministry is second to that. I always cringe a little bit when I will hear once in a while at a pastor's conference, I'll hear somebody, uh, a pastor, talk about uh, uh, using their devotional time for sermon preparation. And, uh, and to do that is to jump the vital order that Paul uh, lays out here. Uh, generally, not always, but generally, no church is going to arise above the spirituality of its leadership. And no leader is going to rise, uh, for any length of time at least, above their devotional life 
or their personal relationship with, with God and uh, that, uh, that is nurtured in this, in this relationship. It's a funny thing, I think, you know, and I, I joked about it a little bit last week, and I don't know how uh, people view uh, being a pastor or a leader in a church or um, how busy it appears from the outside. Um, to stand up in front on Sundays, this is the gravy. Uh, uh, but through the week, uh, the in-basket is always full. It is more than full. And it's one of the hardest things I deal with in ministry is that I cannot get to everything that I want to get to. And, not, and the older I get, not even remotely close to it. Thankfully, there's others that uh, jump in and, and do that. And so the idea that, oh boy, now I'm a pastor, now I'm a leader, now I have control of my own schedule, and now I'll be able to have a quiet time with the Lord as long as I want to and all of this, and then not to realize that there'll be a spiritual warfare that will be added to that quiet time that didn't exist before, um, but there will be extreme pressure to take some urgent issue related to the ministry at the moment, and there's always a handful of them, and get a jump start on them that day because you don't even think you can get to everything that you need to get to and to use my quiet time now uh, to uh, start knocking, uh, knocking these things uh, out. And again, it's to be resisted. It is upside down and... Uh, uh, it, it, where we put service first and then relationship to the Lord second and, uh, and then there's a crash and burn that follows. For all of us as Christians, He has saved us first and foremost for, for the personal relationship with Him. Not because He needed a bunch of free labor uh, to build the sphinx of the pyramids uh, or the body of Christ, but, uh, but that service is to then come out of that uh, that relationship. The, he says additionally in verse 28, take heed to the flock of God. And it's not only important for leaders to understand it, but uh, for an entire congregation to understand these things so that we all bring the same expectations to church and, and the same expectations, the biblical expect, expectations to uh, the leadership of the church that we attend. Take heed to the flock uh, of God. And so a leader uh, has to have a great love for the church that uh, they ser uh, serve. They make people there uh, a, a high priority in terms of their focus and their attention. Uh, if a person doesn't love the flock, the body of Christ as a whole, and certainly the congregation that, that they serve, then they're uh, not a leader. When I, when I look for a person for, to consider them for leadership here at Calvary, uh, Modesto, one of the things I'm always looking for is does this person like to be around the flock? Do they like to be around the sheep? Shepherds like to be around sheep. Uh, they they uh, feel a call to it. And so I always look to see is this person like to be around the flock? And and uh, do they like to be around the people? And when I see someone who uh, might be, and I've seen it uh, through the years, where they can be tremendously gifted, uh, they can be very, very experienced, but if they don't care enough for the people to be around the people, 
and uh, don't attend the Sunday morning services consistently, they don't attend the Sunday evening when so many sheep are present, then I question their concern uh, for the flock and for the church and, and for the people. So how do leaders take uh, heed to the flock of God principally? Principally by feeding, feeding them the Word of God as we're doing tonight. Um, the flock needs good nourishment and needs good food. And then also tending to them. And not all uh, feeding and all tending occurs from a, a pulpit at the church. There's a, all kinds of uh, private meetings, counseling that goes on, uh, conversations by phone, coming alongside, making sure people are okay in the middle of a trial or some kind of a hospitalization or whatever it is, just looking after uh, the flock and caring uh, for the flock. And so uh, to pay close attention to them. Then in verse 28 uh, as well, we will get out of verse 28 tonight for those of you who are alarmed so early. Uh, the needed reminder that a leader is an overseer of God's people, but the people do not belong to us. They belong to God. They belong to Jesus who shed his blood for each and every one of us. A while back there was this big, uh, talking decades ago, and I don't know how uh, much there is of it uh, anymore, but the shepherding movement where leaders endeavored to take a position in people's lives that belonged only to God. And that's not a, what a leader is called to uh, in their ministry, to try and build a dependency upon themselves or uh, uh, put the church, you know, gravitating uh, toward, uh, toward them or to make ourselves a mediator between uh, God and man. And so uh, there's the realization for leaders that when we're ministering to uh, Christians within the church, we're ministering to a group of people who are indescribably, massively, I don't have the words for, loved by God. That He loved you, He loves me so much that He demonstrated it by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Not after He cleaned us up, but when we were yet... Uh, sinners. And when we as ministers minister to God's people, it's important we consider the immense love that God has uh, for His people. They belong to Him, not to us, and uh, it helps us certainly in being careful about our treatment of them and always wanting to grow as leaders in Jesus' treatment of His children as we see them uh, in the Scriptures. Not to be uh, so lenient that uh, we won't speak the truth, uh, but not to be unduly harsh in, uh, in ministering them uh, to them as well, but with just the right attitude. In verse 29, see there you have it. Uh, Paul warned concerning savage wolves that will come into the church from the outside and they won't spare the flock. So we look at the word wolf. I don't know if you've ever been face-to-face -face with a wolf. I haven't. Currently, I'm dealing with two toy poodles at home. So I just have to kind of exponentially draw them out to, to get a sense for this. Well, I've seen these wildlife shows or movies where they're dealing with a wolf. I don't, and they're trying to keep the fire lit all night long because the pack of wolves are coming, and you're pretty well doomed once you're out of ammo on that. 
Uh, all you got to do is have one more wolf than you have bullets and you're through. Uh, they are uh, predators and they are savage uh, predators. And so Paul's not using hyperbole here uh, at all. Jesus warned about false prophets who'll come in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are uh, ravenous wolves. And so speaking about the false teachers, false prophets that will always try to penetrate any church, any church at all, uh, the tares among the wheat in, a, in an endeavor uh, to uh, come in and destroy uh, the flock if they're allowed to do that. And so wolves are predatory. Uh, they sh- uh, target sheep. They destroy sheep. They eat sheep. And so it reminds us as leaders that this is a serious business. And there's an element of that in protecting the body from these kind of outside doctrines, these kind of people that are looking for a foothold within, uh, within a church and to realize you can't negotiate with them and you just have to keep them away from the church and away from the flock and to never negotiate a place within uh, the church for people like this. In verse 31, 30 and 31, and uh, as Paul talks about not only the wolves that will come from without, but again, as I said, harder still, warned of the dangers that can arise from within a church, uh, church's leadership. And they begin to teach error. They begin to draw people to themselves uh, within a church. They become uh, self-promoting. Every church that has ever existed uh, hopes to avoid this as a part of their history. Uh, but it is uh, very few churches that do avoid it, un- unfortunately. And so here you have a motivation where someone gets into leadership, oftentimes uh, really with their heads screwed on straight spiritually to begin with, but they start to privately start to go sideways on things, usually in the neglect of, of their relationship with the Lord, and, uh, or they have some kind of a deep-seated psychological need to be needed by people or to control people or they're power-hungry or uh, selfishly ambitious. They're, they want to be popular. This is important to them as, as a leader. And so rather than being content with what a leader is supposed to do, and that is to point people to God and then get out of the way, they want to become the center of attention. And uh, in order to become the center of attention, they have to differentiate themselves from the rest of leadership uh, because why would you follow them if they were just like everybody else in leadership? And, and so then in come the false doctrines and, and, and all that uh, can so often happen. And so a leader has to resist these kind of people. And uh, sometimes the leader has to do it when they're the only ones that can see it for what it is just yet uh, in a a leader like this. And I think nothing is more uh, miserable than this, uh, the the toll that it takes on a legitimate leader to uh, deal with that that kind of thing. In, In verses 33 to 35, there's a warning against covetousness in the heart of a leader. So no one should... Um, uh, enter into uh, becoming a leader in a church or a pastor in a church out of the motivation of, uh, of money or uh, g- uh, getting rich off it in some way. Nothing wrong with the church being supported by the church that they serve when the church is able to do that. Uh, but no one should, uh, the leader should be one who would be able to say honestly before the Lord, 
um, if there were no money to pay me, I would still, uh, still do it for God and, and for the people. And so Paul, in verse 35, he quotes this unrecorded beatitude of Jesus. It's the only place we find it in the Scriptures when he said, uh, spoke of his own laboring in this way. The churches weren't able to support him. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this as a tent maker that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than it is to uh, receive. And so when uh, the position of leadership is done right, uh, the leader will usually uh, give, and this is the way that it should be, give much more to other people uh, than other people will give, uh, that they'll receive from people. Um, but this is the way that they learn uh, this lesson of Jesus, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the great blessing for any of us in our area of service uh, to be able to minister the body of Christ and uh, the, the satisfaction, the blessing that comes with, um, Lord, um, I am uh, serving you to be a blessing to the people that you love so much. And it's its own reward, uh, quite apart from... Uh, from uh, money. And so to be entrusted with a position of leadership in a church, it's never ever uh, to be a, a something that is a, a, a reason for pride. Um, it is to have a stewardship entrusted to someone uh, that is uh, humbling. And when, uh, when a person uh, recognizes and has the right attitude related to this, a leader will always recognize, I am in way over my head in what God has called me uh, uh, to do here. And I'm humbled that he would call me to do this, and I'm glad he couples his grace uh, with it. And then Paul tells them, uh, in essence, in verse 32, to take heart. And he encourages leaders uh, to take heart in two great things. And uh, thankfully, uh, the Apostle Paul, he knew from his own life, I'm sure, that leaders are uh, not only do we need the strong exhortation and the take heeds that, that he has already offered, uh, but we also are very much in need of encouragements as well. And so he said, I commend you to God. In other words, I'm leaving but God's hanging around. <laughs> and that's a good thing to know. And this scene is there, there, and he said, this is what's going to happen. I'm leaving, but God is going to be with you. Stick close to him, and he's greater than every need you're ever going to face. And so he is. And then he said, I commend you to the word of his grace. In other words, I'm leaving, but you still have God's word. You have God and you have his, his word. Stick with the word. And, and you'll be fine. So build your life on the Lord, point people to Him, build the ministry upon His Word, and you won't ever be uh, uh, disappointed in having done so. And I've been pastoring now for 40 years, if you count the year and a half that I drove back and forth between Napa and here um, to do the Sunday afternoon services way, way back. And um, there have been so many different fads that have gone through uh, the body of Christ. I think we've resisted all of them to my, uh, to my knowledge uh, to try and uh, hitch the wagon of a church to th this new church growth movement or this new doctrine or uh, 
the demon possession of Christians and all these crazy things that have happened over the course of 40 years. And uh, so here I am uh, uh, on the other side of a lot of years and um, where the kind of thing where I uh, get home on Sunday nights and I say to the Lord, Lord, I'd sure love to do this another week. And so count me in if you're going to give me another week. The old joke, you know, you see, um, I had one guy, he much, was much older than I am right now, uh, but he, he said, at my age, when you go to the store, you don't buy green bananas. And uh, so uh, you become a little bit aware of this kind of stuff. And so, but... Um, by the grace of God and what's been modeled for us in Calvary Chapel, and because we've experienced the power of the Word in our lives, the necessity and importance uh, of it, I, ha- I come to the end, uh, uh, nearing the end of all this, and I hope I get a 50 more years, but um, without any regret for having made this church a, a, a Bible-focused church, not to the neglect of the Holy Spirit or uh, the full part of the Christian life, but to just stay with the Word and to stay with the Word and to stay with the Word. And sometimes people will, will catch me at the back door after a Sunday morning service, and they don't compliment me nearly enough as far as I'm concerned on things. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm the most affirmed person in the world. But they'll say, thank you, Pastor, so much for sticking with the Word. And I, and I think to myself, well, when you don't have a song and a dance, you, you've got to stick with the Word. And I don't have a song and a dance. But that's not the real reason. Once, once you've experienced, as I, as I experienced, and I know you know it to be true too, when I became a new Christian, and I went to a Calvary Chapel in, or New Walking with the Lord, I went to a Calvary Chapel in Napa, and, and I popped in on it one night, because they had a good basketball team, and I wanted another chance to play basketball. Carnal, God meets us where we are, doesn't he? And, um, and, and this, this pastor would read the scripture, then he would explain the scripture, and the whole room is like this the whole time, looking up and down related to the Bible, and for some reason a light went on for the first time in my life that the Bible is meant to be understood. And when that light goes on, this is God communicating to me, and it can be understood Uh, that's a wonderful light. And you experience then the power of the Word of God in our lives. I almost don't do anything in the course of the week in terms of uh, time in which I'm driving or doing something in the yard or something like that, except that I have uh, often a a, a Bible study uh, teaching going on on my my phone or on my iPod. Well, we don't have iPods anymore, but uh, however we do it. And, um, and just for that washing of the Word, the power of it, it really is alive and it really is uh, powerful. And uh, I'll tell you, there's no regrets at the end of having uh, done that. And so, yes, Paul says to this leadership, uh, every leader is going to face challenges from within the church. They're going to face challenges from without the church, but God's grace is, uh, is, is greater than uh, them all. Uh, recently, and this is alarming to me, um, I've had a, a number of young men who are heading into pastoral ministry uh, ask me a question like this. What's the most important thing 
that you would tell me from your experience uh, as I'm heading into pastoral ministry. And I always tell them the same thing. Don't buy green bananas. So how old do you think I am? But given my age and given the fact that God's been faithful for 40 uh, years in my life, they're curious. And I always tell them the same thing. Always keep your personal relationship with God, your devotional time with the Lord, the priority. And I remind them, as I mentioned, God did not save us supremely because He needed laborers. He saved us for fellowship. And then the service comes out of the fellowship and work very hard not to get that, uh, get that uh, backwards. And the second thing that I'll let them know, that uh, when we are called, whatever that calling might be, uh, God will be more faithful and more gracious to you than you can ever dream of. And that's the truth about whatever He's called us to do. We say, and I noticed the uh, heavy emphasis this morning, one of several emphasis this morning in, in the worship set was praising the Lord for His faithfulness. And we respond to that. We look back on our lives and we see how faithful He is to all of His promises uh, within, uh, within our lives. And He is, uh, we are the product of His grace and of His uh, faithfulness. And and that's true of all Christian uh, ministry. And then Paul, with all of them, as he leaves these elders in Miletus that he'd served all those years with, he then uh, 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 said these things to them, knelt down and prayed uh, with them all. And then he, uh, they all wept freely. They fell on Paul's neck and they uh, kissed him, this beautiful affection that uh, they, they just lavished upon Paul, uh, sorrowing most of all for the words that he spoke that they uh, would see his face no more and they accom- accompanied him then uh, to the ship. So all of this is happening uh, at the shore there and the docks for where the ships are going to uh, go out. And so uh, Paul is leaving them. They have no sense that they will ever see him again. And uh, if you've ever seen someone that you, uh, where there's somebody that you really, really love in life, I mean, you really love them, um, then uh, you wait until that plane is taken off or the car is out of sight. I mean, you just follow it as long as you can that this person is in. And they come and they, uh, they want to, uh, don't depart until... Uh, until he is uh, gone completely uh, from them. And then with that, Paul was gone from them, now making his way uh, toward, uh, uh, toward Jerusalem. It's interesting when I, I notice that um, this, the demands that, that Paul placed upon, I mean, very strong demands upon the leadership there in the church in Ephesus, and um, none of them flinched. They didn't flinch. Some of them are going to go sideways in the future, but they didn't uh, flinch. I, I hope for anyone, that anyone that believes that God is calling you to be a pastor or a missionary or something, uh, an elder or a deacon uh, in, in a church where these demands apply, uh, uh, apply uh, so directly to our uh, lives, 
none of these men that listened to this said, time out, we need to find a safe place because of the strength of what it is that you've said uh, to us. We live in a very weak culture. Very weak culture. And uh, I remember the... um, uh, uh, a, a woman by the name of Paglia. She's a, um, uh, hardly a Christian. So first wave feminist, uh, professor, university, lesbian. And uh, she piped up a few years ago about uh, the, uh, the attack upon masculinity in the United States of America. And, and you, would, you would hardly t- expect her to come to the defense of masculinity in the United States of America, and she did. And she said, in essence, what we have forgotten is that the barbarians are always at the gate, and you will need your men when they try to broach that wall. And we're playing games as a culture on a lot of levels, but we can't play that same game spiritually. It's a very very serious business. And I don't know how much of Christian models within the church we can use as a model for leadership and preparation of my heart for leadership on a level of what Paul says here, and yet this is what is needed. So what do you do? What do you do? We spend time in the Bible. We spend time in prayer. We spend time watching and learning from people who do live this. And I want to commend to anyone in that category, read biographies. Read biographies of dead pastors and dead missionaries who ministered in a saner period of time and were clear about the demands of Christianity and the demands of Christian service and then make that a place of refuge and influence within our lives. And uh, I know it was very important for me as a new Christian and as a new pastor, and uh, I read I don't know how many biographies and autobiographies of missionaries and Christian leaders uh, to try and just learn in my calling. And I think now, 40 years later, it's even more important for this very uh, reason We are raising weak people in this culture and we are uh, uh, being tempted to raise weak Christians uh, within the body of Christ. Uh, But a weak Christian is not going to stand, not in the middle of this fight. It will require everything that Paul is talking about here. And to realize that, don't borrow from this culture not the attitudes of the culture, the weakness of the culture, borrow from the strength of scriptures. Example, of course, like Jesus, one in a category of one. And then like the Apostle Paul and others within the scriptures and then others who have served the Lord faithfully all the way uh, to uh, the end. Well, I have done something terrible here tonight in that I have spent so much time on this, or you have spent so much time listening, I don't know who to to blame. It was the woman you gave me, Lord. I've shifted the blame as much as as anyone can. And uh, 
I can't head into the next chapter and uh, without uh, hitting, uh, hitting uh, just even to do the first um, 14 verses would, uh, would, would take us and push into our uh, communion time. And so we'll, we'll let that go. I know you're disappointed. People are... The old saying is, leave them uh, longing rather than loathing. Some of you are thinking, when did you learn that, Pastor? I uh, wish you could have um, learned that a little earlier in your ministry, and so do I. So we'll, uh, we'll introduce the Lord's Supper and enjoy that tonight, that time of worship. If we turn uh, to Luke's Gospel... Uh, chapter 22 to introduce.